0: This is the Hacker Valley Studio podcast, exploring the human element behind cybersecurity programs and technology.
1: Welcome back to the show, everyone. In this episode, we have Dr. Camilla Payne. She's the author behind Explaining Humans, What Science Can Teach Us About Life, Love, and Relationships. And in this episode, we talk about her book and we talk about her life. And we also talk about one of our favorite subjects, neurodiversity. If you like this episode, be sure to check out more episodes at HackerValley.studio. And as always, if you'd love to support us, support us on our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash hacker valley studio let's get right to this awesome episode what's going on everybody you and the hacker valley studio with
2: your hosts ron and chris yes sir welcome back to the show glad to be back again today our special guest is dr camilla Pang. she is a neurodiversity advocate scientist and and author of Explaining Humans, What Science Can Teach Us About Life, Love, and Relationships. Welcome to the show, Camilla.
0: Hello. Thank you for having me on here.
2: Yeah, Camilla, thank you so much for taking the time to talk
1: with us. I saw the title of your book actually in a post on LinkedIn, and as soon as I saw it, I said, I haven't read the book, I haven't even talked to the author, but we absolutely have to have this author on the podcast. And I have since read your book. Fantastic. I love the way you dice science and humans in this very interesting and explanatory way. But for folks that don't know who you are just yet, would love to hear a little bit about what you're doing today.
0: Well, currently I'm I'm a scientist and I'm working a pharmaceutical company in translational bioinformatics. And it's, it's, I'm really enjoying it. And I get to do lots of different things in terms of like coding, but also helping experimentalists with their work and making, I guess, the therapeutic pipeline a bit more efficient. I work in a really great team. Also on, on the side, I absolutely love to write. I didn't really understand what I was writing. I just did it because I just enjoyed it and to make sense of the things. And that's kind of what I've always done since childhood. And I'd like gather evidence from my garden. I know what it was, but for some reason it had a narrative and and I use these kind of elements of matter to make sense of humans. And I know you're like, well, how can that make sense? But I've learned from, I guess, the ground up how elements move how to model them and what that means in terms of reflecting human behavior. I didn't realize that the book would be useful. I made it into a book because I didn't realize that people knew about graph theory. My sister was like, I didn't know about graph theory and it's really useful. And I'm like, oh, do you not? Oh, I thought I thought that was just common sense because that's how you link things together. But then I realized that everyone else's common sense wasn't the same as mine and definitely vice versa. So no, I'm, I absolutely love to write and it's something that it's, always being there
2: with me. That's great. And speaking of things like common sense, I read the book also, and the book starts out with this sentence. It was five years into my life on earth when I started to think I landed in the wrong place. So I'm sure that was a turning point in your life to kind of ask yourself or come to that realization. Why did that thought come up initially?
0: I think when you're four or five, you start to realize, hang on a minute, this is there's something quite different. I'm not quite gelling with humans and or when I do in a different way, it's you don't really feel in sync with them. You don't really feel connected to them. And it's not it's really hard describing an absence of something and. I knew that I was a bit different and everyone, everyone has this, which is why I, I don't want to end up saying, Oh, I'm different because that, because everyone's got that, but you have this kind of incongruent feeling, that you're forever trying to describe and elucidate. When I was five, I knew that things weren't quite right. and It was a conscious decision I made. I was like, well, I'm either going to go one way or the other. So let's try and make this work. Let's try and make this into a language that I understand. It might not be anyone else's common sense, but <laughs> if it makes sense to me, then that's a good start. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. When describing your book, uh, Explaining Humans, The Times said this vital memoir illuminates the power of being on the autism spectrum. Was this the intention or the motivation for writing the book?
0: Funnily enough, it it wasn't. As much as I'm very passionate at shedding light on what it's like to be on the autistic spectrum and also um, I have ADHD and anxiety disorder, all three. So it makes for a very interesting cocktail of thoughts. But when I did it, purely for a manual for me to refer back to when I got stuck... And this is why I never called it a book. I just called it my notes. It wasn't even contextualized because to contextualize something is you need to have an end vision. You need to pick a path. And when you have autism, one of the reasons why we get overloaded is because we have no filter. How do we pick a path? Why this path? So when it came to describing this process and how people sense the world and process the world and what that means for actually gaining some sense of order... This was very much different in me and I hope that this is kind of reflects the experiences and the root of what goes on in people on the autistic spectrum. Obviously, it's not to trivialise mental health at all, but to also raise awareness of this is what's happening and also this is what can happen if we have the right support structures in place. And we only have the right support structures in place if we know what's actually happening. So it was an inadvertent attempt to explain humans to me through science, but also explain science to people who are scared of it, who are like, oh, to make those connections. And by virtue of doing that, it's a self-help book. So, yeah, I didn't mean to, but I think it's going to really help quite a lot of people.
2: It seems like science is a great influence in your life. The first chapter was on machine learning. That's one of my favorite topics. And then you jump into biochemistry and thermodynamics. And it sounds like these types of concepts most definitely help you in your day to day. sounds like you work at a pharmaceuticals company. How do you leverage science to also help you with your personal goals? What kind of strategies do you take or what kind of facets of science do you look at when it comes to that?
0: Oh, that's quite an interesting question. And I think it's important to highlight that although these chapters are in themselves modular and you know, we've got one on machine learning, we've got one on proteins, but in my head they are linked because clearly you need a substrate or okay, you know, a system to model and then you need to model it via a model. And so what this book does is, I guess, separate those a little bit to highlight the difference, but also on an everyday basis, it's something... To move around my day, I need to create a template in which I live by that can come through routine, but it can also be through, I guess, it's being conscious of what's going on. So, for example, what do I sense? How am I processing things? I mean, I could even say to you at the moment, I'm having a bit of a dimensionality reduction problem, but at the end of the day, that's just adulthood, apparently, and it's trying to choose the right path, what features are most important, what features are most important now? Does that mean they'll be important later? And it's about identifying what does a local optimum mean versus a global optimum. And we don't really know what that means. Like I don't know what that means. It's just getting through each day. And I think especially in lockdown, it's taken away the bigger picture and the kind of sense of, validation people get just by purely interacting. And so we have to reassess our goals, which is quite a lot of people have lost their sense of purpose in lockdown. So I've used my, uh, I say my machine learning, I've altered my parameters (laughs) within my gradient descent algorithm to make me focus on specific time intervals, aka alter the learning rate, so that my sense of focus isn't bigger picture, but just getting through the day. This is how I think of it. And this is what gets me through.
1: Wow, that's incredible. In our field of cybersecurity, there's so much neurodiversity. And one of the most powerful examples in the book, kind of what you're just explaining just now, is how you use decision trees to keep you locked in to a task despite some disruptions that might happen. How would you recommend to our listeners to begin adopting that similar mindset?
0: Okay, so for example, you know that phrase, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. Well, Mm -hmm. With a, I guess with the trees, you have many different baskets for one situation and it's knowing the different fates of those outcomes and what they mean for, you don't want to invest in something hardly really once, And then you don't know really know what's going to happen for the consequences and how it's related to everything else that you do. I mean, you can do, and that feels great, but you don't, it's obviously, there's a risk. And I think... As much as it's important to be impulsive and act in the moment and feel alive, especially when you're trying to do something that you're passionate about, tree thinking can enable that, but it's also about reassuring yourself. And for me, I mean, from the most mundane things that I wanted to get through the day, I, I absolutely hate commuting. So this lockdown inadvertently is actually quite nice, but I've got. Things that I need to get through my commute. And I don't want to be a box thinker thinking I need X, Y, Z. And if they don't happen at this point, then my day's ruined. Like it's very binary. But therefore, I was like, well, I don't want to live like that because I want to go to work. So I was like, okay, let's think of a contingency. And this is sense of contingency and flexible thinking where you can navigate the branches of fate and possibility enable you to hold on to your eggs <laughs> and be like, okay, let's just hold on to any kind of sense of security. Okay. If I don't get on that train, it's not the end of the world. I can do this, 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 and this. And not only does that provide or get rid of this kind of cold hard logic box that you feel like you're no longer in you kind of navigate the related spaces that are in front of you and know that actually it can evolve and life isn't box shaped it's it's like much like evolution isn't linear even though we want it to be because that'd be very convenient but nothing will evolve (laughs) would (laughs) it life is branched we can't predict the future
2: I was going to ask, when learning about all these topics, these subjects that you're passionate about, that you apply to your life, it can be a daunting task for some, especially for someone like me to learn about so many different facets of science. How do you deal or do you have any methods with dealing with procrastination or burnout when it comes to learning new things?
0: That is a great question. And procrastination is something that I... I'm very conscious of and I know my mind enough to to realize that I need procrastination to focus because I need noise to focus and not everyone's like that but in terms of using procrastination it's a, it's a it's a chaos it's a distraction you want to be in about 15 different places at once I try and use this to my advantage and I know that certain times of day I focus much better on one or two things, which is when I get that work done. And other bits, I'm more creative and I'm more, I want to say scatty. I'm more, I guess, what's the word? just everywhere (laughs) chaotic but that's okay i don't want to fight against the grain of my mind because that just leads you nowhere and i think this lockdown's enabled the opportunity to work a bit more with the paces of our mind and how it operates procrastination is inevitable but i wouldn't want to get rid of it because procrastination is creativity at the end of the day it's just not orchestrated in its utility therefore it's not useful you just need to be able to know the nature of it and what it is useful for Burnout, so related to that, it's quite interesting because I find it quite hard to identify when I'm burning out or when I'm bored or when I'm this. I think it's actually one of the parts of autism spectrum disorder. You can feel cold but not realise that you need to put a jacket on. So do you know what I mean? There's an association there that's that in me, in my experience, is, is, is missing a little bit. Obviously, I've learnt that behaviour. Burnout is the same. So what I've learnt to do is correlate my... Mental, I guess, arithmetics to my physical arithmetic. So, whenever I'm really busy, I always go to the gym. And then, suddenly, about eight days later, I'm really tired. But it's good because I listen, I know how to listen to my body. And I'm like, I should probably rest my mind also. So, this is not a solution for everyone. But for me, when I do find it hard to identify what I'm feeling, it can help to correlate it with something external that you can see and that is very tangible. So, that's how I do it it's a radar.
2: Oh, um, mm. interesting when it comes to technology and science are you exploring any new areas that aren't listed in your book would love to hear what's on the top of your mind in those two domains
0: Ooh, at the moment so for example um so my book is basically uh, i guess the bread and butter of science and any scientific principle you come across you can kind of find the root of it in that book for example if that makes any sense it's very like Wikipedia-able, but it's good because it means that it's kind of the, the bricks of it. In terms of what I'm doing today, I'm very much into looking at topology. I absolutely love topology. It's great. I just love it. So I'm looking at that. I'm also looking at dimensionality and not reduction and actually using dimensionality as a way of, I guess, evolving AI, especially with regards to new diversity, because one of the things I'm fascinated by is everyone's like, oh, AI, AI, this. And I'm like, great, but it's based on a neurotypical brain. Before we try and make AI human, we have to first acknowledge how we're trying to make humans machine-like. And with that, we're kind of outcasting a lot of cognitive treasures out there. So I'm very interested in this paradox and the relationship between human and machine and also a lot of topics that are in sociology as well and the arts and science because for science to evolve it needs a counterpart such as art and I know it's I'm not just saying about data art because there's some absolutely beautiful things out there but something a bit more nuanced and I think nuance is something that I'm very much intrigued by because it's something not not everyone gets and also if we think about it AI is still trying to learn the nuances of situations and at the moment, that's fascinating me, but I'm going to leave that on a cliffhanger because I don't want to. <laughs> I'm writing another. I'm writing another book as we speak.
1: You know. Oh, can we ask about that?
0: It's quite similar to this, but it's more to do with, I guess, <laughs> modernization, a bit more sociological principles, but also what it's like to be an adult and you've grown up now what do you do which is why dimensionality comes into it because we're trying to choose we've got an analysis paralysis and it's much like explaining humans it's using science to navigate what we're doing and also what's most important to us and how does for example the smallest things that are like going to Sainsbury's and you have pineapple already prepackaged for you what does that do for your creativity is there something about the process mm. that we're missing within modern life that we are inherently craving hence hipsters are very useful for reminding us of that
1: <laughs> <laughs> what do you think the world needs to know about neurodiversity
0: i'm going to keep it really simple and say that we have a lot more to know about humans before we try and listen to we need to know more about humans before we attribute that godlike opinion on ai and the only reason to evolve ai is through acknowledgement of new diversity new diversity is merely uh, a consequence of people trying to conform to a i guess a binary numeric it's like you're this or you're that it's us or them mm-hmm. and that new diversity is basically just the unhidden the hidden treasures of uh, human evolution
1: boom yeah i love that Oh, good <laughs> <laughs> For folks that are interested in your future endeavors and keeping up to date with you, uh, what are some ways that people can do that, whether it's through your social media or websites or, or how can they get their, your book?
0: I'm probably most active on Instagram. So probably on there is better. Twitter's all right. I like Instagram because it's more pictures as well. <laughs> um you know it's quite simple. And so yeah, my Instagram, uh, Millie Moonface and Twitter, I think it's called milzy May. <laughs> and my book is can be found on Amazon, Explaining Humans. Yeah, there's a couple of versions out. There's one, so there's one called Explaining Humans, which is in the UK, which is out now, and there's one in France in America this December, 2020. Um the equivalent is called The Outsider's Guide to Humans. So it's basically different face, but it's the same book. So yeah, watch this space.
2: Oh, great. I also love the, love the second title. What did you say that was? The Outsider's Guide for Humans?
0: Yeah. So basically, the American version of Explaining Humans, they've kind of rebranded it, and the cover's a lot different. It's called, yeah, An Outsider's Guide to Humans. And then the tagline is, what science taught me about what we do and who we are. Wow. So there we go. So um, I'll send you a picture or it's yes, on my Instagram. Please. So, so um, yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> Great. Yeah, yeah we we'll, we'll make sure that we put all of the resources and the show notes. We'd love for everybody to check out the book. I enjoyed it, especially the first chapter that's near and dear to my heart. We'd we'll love to have you back on when the second book comes out. We'd we'll love to kind of hear what's changed and catch up again and have awesome. you back on the podcast.
0: Oh, thank you. That's a very good motivator for me to carry on writing. <laughs>
2: <'Cause> <laughs> I you, like, you can definitely
0: procrastinate in writing. I'll tell you that would be
2: uh, <laughs> <absolutely>. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, Camilla. We appreciate this episode and we'll see everybody next time.